Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Chapter 5. Roland. Twenty years ago, Camelback Mountain had towered over a wealthy suburb of Phoenix, Arizona. Then had come the Civil War. Power, food, and water shortages made the city's 130-degree summers insufferable for all but the hardiest or most chromed. Millions fled for less vicious climates or simply died from exposure and starvation. Now Phoenix was a looted, crumbling ghost, but Camelback Mountain still hosted a version of human civilization. Cameltoe was a city of roughly 5,000. The name had started because the settlement's founders, homeless teens, thought it was funny. A few hundred orphaned or abandoned kids had settled in the McMansions clustered around the mountain's western edge and foothills. They'd scrounged grow lamps and engines and weaponry, and today the denizens of the Toe had the strongest city-state between California and the Kingdom of Albuquerque. Roland was their guardian. Mind you, they'd never asked him to guard them. The polis had been doing quite well, thank you very much, when he'd shown up and built his shack in the middle of their only park. A delegation of armed Toans had showed up to politely evict Roland, and he'd been forced to carve off their foreskins as a show of dominance. They'd sent a single negotiator next, and worked out a thoroughly beneficial arrangement. Roland would aid in the city's defense in exchange for his now-departed shack and, twice a year, all the narcotics he could carry home from their harvest. It was an arrangement Roland had enjoyed. He was frustrated that Jim's men had forced him to destroy his beloved hovel. But it was hard for him to be angry all the same. The sun was out now, and it was early enough that the day's heat had yet to set in. The great red desert and the carcass of Phoenix stretched out around them, and, to Roland's eyes, it was all beautiful. 
Once Jim had called the fight, a pair of boxy, armored helitransports had flown in another squad of his men. They'd assembled a brunch spread, complete with a table and two wicker chairs. Roland hoped his old friend was doing this to show off, and not planning an actual meal. The acid twisted Roland's guts into knots and effectively killed his appetite. He was still high enough that the familiar boulders around his home seemed to flex and wobble like great mounds of red jelly. Jim's face, however, was rock solid. Roland focused on it while the rest of the world blurred. A towel came into his hands, and he realized a moment later that Jim had handed it to him. Roland wiped the crusted gore from around his shoulder, where the tiny robots in his blood had finished reattaching his arm. It was a messy process that involved a lot of shuffling bad blood out of the skin and sludgy red globs. The globs looked a bit like the boulders, now that he thought about it. Jim's mercs were over by one of the aircraft, getting worked over by a medical team that must have been waiting in the wings this whole time. The acrylic stink of fear wafted off them from 30 feet away. Once the table was up and the spread was set, Roland and Jim sat down to watch the last rays of sunrise turn into boring old daylight. A lackey handed them both steaming mugs of coffee. Roland took his black and Turkish, so thick it was almost pudding. Most humans made it too weak for his taste, but this cup was perfect. He sipped deeply, and the warbly acid lines straightened and grew just a little bit thicker. Took forever to teach him how to make it, right? Jim said. Having human orderlies is a bit of a trial. I think there's something about us that breaks their brains just a bit. Jim sipped his coffee and added, I got a theory about that, by the way. Roland let out a harsh, flimmy exhalation that meant, I don't care. Jim continued all the same, sipping his coffee and then launching into a spiel. My theory is that Homo sapiens just aren't built to acknowledge a higher form of life, not one that's flesh and blood and staring them in the face demanding service. I think deep in the human brain there's the race memory of running up against Neanderthals. They were bigger and stronger and faster than humans, but we, they, still wipe the Neanderthals out. I think humans look at us the same way their ancestors looked at Neanderthals. Roland grunted, because that was easier than talking, and because he really wasn't listening. His eyes were focused on the shimmering surface of the coffee. Sober, his brain kept his thermal vision on a different mental track from his color and infrared vision. But while he was tripping, they all just sort of blended together into one multi-tone mass of information. So he stared, enthralled, as red heat bled off into the white air around them. The math of it all was rendered as a beautiful swatch of colors, some of which weren't even visible to human eyes. Roland lost himself for a moment. If you were any other man, I'd prick you with a sober stick right now, Jim said, clearly irked. It's been a long time since someone's ignored me. Not ignoring, Roland managed to say. The words came out wet and mushy. He'd taken a round to the lung, apparently, and the repair efforts played hell on his throat. His eyes were still locked on the psychedelic sprawl of color lifting off from his coffee. He had to force himself to take another sip. The mild stimulant surge helped him break off his perseveration, and he met Jim's still weirdly solid gaze. Sorry, this coffee's more interesting than your bullshit, Roland explained. Blame the acid. Jim laughed. The snake tattoos on his torso curled and corkscrewed in simulated excitement. You know, he said, there's a new movement in the uh, post-human community. Started up in Idaho, one of the intentional communes. They take a pretty strong anti-narcotic policy. Apparently, it distracts us from the important work we should be doing. Fuck that, Roland said, and spat on the ground for emphasis. I don't disagree, Jim nodded, and produced an enormous and very phallic blunt. He lit it pulled deep and passed it over. Roland took a long drag and eased into a slump as the THC did its slow work. 
So, Jim, Roland said, after a few more passes, once the acid and weed had time to push his brain into a hazy new equilibrium, why are you here? Jim gave an eloquent shrug, popped the blunt out of his mouth, and stared at the curling smoke. Roland stared, too. In his eyes, it was wreathed in a chartreuse black halo of heat that seemed to almost vibrate near the cherried tip. To catch up, Jim said, and to offer you a job. Job? Roland snorted. I need not your filthy lucre. Look at this wealth that surrounds me. He made a broad gesture that encompassed the remains of his hovel. What could you possibly offer? Well, Jim said, for starters, I can replace your hot plate. I think Bigsby broke it with his body. So I'll steal another one, Roland said. What do you really have? I'm gonna guess a few million won't pique your interest? Roland blew a fat, wet raspberry. I don't even care what currency you're talking about. What good'll money do me? Not even Cascadian script, eh? Jim asked with a grin. Cascadia? Roland had heard the name, of course. Last he remembered, the Pacific Northwest's premier independence movement had been agitating to secede from the coastal pact. Is, a, is that a thing now? As of six years ago, Jim said. He took a deep pull of the blunt, handed it back to Roland, and exhaled a thick white cloud as he spoke. And they just finished their own civil war, so the value's skyrocketing. You really don't get out much these days, do you? Roland's response was another deep gulp of his coffee. Anyway, Jim continued, I know you don't care for cash, but there is something I think you might want, and I can buy it back for you, if you'll help me out. Wait, buy it back? Buy what back? Roland recognized the snake man's smile on Jim's face. He had the vague sense that he'd seen it before, enough that the sight of it set his hackles arise and sparked an itch in his left trigger finger. He took a deep hit from the blunt and handed it over to Jim. The other man took the blunt with his left hand and made a gun shape with the fingers of his right hand. He pantomimed a shot to the head. His lips made a barely audible pow. Memories, Jim said. I know you're only playing with half a deck, maybe less. Surprised you remember my mug, to be honest. Jim took a final drag from the blunt, which was barely the length of a thumbnail now, and passed it off to Roland. But science, eh? She's kept right on lurching forward the last ten years. There's a neuro team up at MIT. They reckon they've made a breakthrough. Alzheimer's research, initially. But they think they've figured out how to straight-up recover memories from damaged brain tissue. Their tech has reversed a lot of injuries the old science said was permanent. Roland felt a painful tugging sensation in his chest. He thought back to the woman from his dreams, with the damascene teeth. He saw her every few weeks, trapped in some foggy memory or another. Her name felt like it was always on the tip of his tongue. He didn't know what she'd meant to him, but the thought of her twisted his heart into knots. It was maddening, not even knowing what she'd been to him, or he to her. Roland frowned, turned his head, and locked eyes with Jim. You think a bunch of Fed-funded school scientists are going to help me? Roland asked. I got a strong feeling none of the governments on this continent are fans of me. Jim waved a careless hand. Less the issue, he said. Those am-fed motherfuckers are pragmatists. I've been in and out of the Northeast half a dozen times just this year. You do work they value, and they ignore a little terrorism. Memory's hazy, Roland said, but I know little isn't accurate. I think we killed a skyscraper. Ha! You don't remember that. The diamond building in 41. 120 floors of rich pigs wallowing in shit. We slipped a bomb in during an austerity summit led by the CEOs of the Big Four. Bugged the conference room so we could hear him scream when that first blast cut the support beams. It was better than sex. There was a peculiar joy in Jim's eyes. His chest snakes writhed in orgiastic glee. Roland felt queasy. Roland, Jim added. The sons of bitches had it coming. 
Maybe, Roland said. But I know we didn't just kill CEOs. I remember other times. Kids. Not kids, Jim insisted. Heirs, young enough to take full advantage of Juven, the future undying lords of capital. They had to go. Roland shivered. Even if they did, I'm sort of glad I don't remember it. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon. 
and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jim shrugged, swirled his coffee cup, and stared into it for a minute. If he'd been anyone else, Roland would have been able to read his emotions by the scents coming off of him and the micro-expressions on his face. Most post-humans were just as easy to read as regular humans. It took a mix of very specific surgeries and a hell of a lot of time spent in practice to hide anything from Roland. It said a lot that Jim had considered the expense worthwhile. Violence is the coin that buys the future, Jim said. There was a time when you explained that to me. I don't remember that conversation, Roland said. But it's been years since I've taken a life. Yeah, a couple of foreskins, one guy's hand, sure. Sometimes a point needs making. I haven't killed anyone in a long time, though. That's why all the folks you sent to my door are still alive. And I mean to stay on the wagon. Killin's not wanted on this mission, Jim assured him. Just property destruction. I need two or three days of your unrivaled shit-up-fucking expertise. Roland flicked a suspicious eyebrow at his old friend. Property, he asked. Jim nodded. A couple of guys might need crippling along the way, but no killing. So what's this gig? Roland was interested now, in spite of himself. Sabotage! Jim's lips curled up in a feral grin. Over the last few months, we've noticed a substantial buildup among the radical Christian militias in north and central Texas. We? Roland asked. My own organization and the Amfed's Central Intelligence Agency. Roland couldn't help but laugh. I remember enough of the old days to appreciate the irony of you working with the CIA. Jim's head cocked just a little to the left. He grimaced. Roland wasn't sure, but he thought his friend might be a little embarrassed and defensive. Anyone who lives long enough becomes a hypocrite, Jim said with a shrug. I'd hope to hold out longer, but their satellite coverage is fucking phenomenal. I'll send you the intel. He made a flicking gesture towards Roland with his right index finger, and then frowned in annoyance. You might be the last dark brain on this continent, you know that? Roland wasn't sure why he'd disconnected himself from the internet. It seemed to annoy other people, but he rather enjoyed it. His hindbrain had absorbed petabytes of data before he'd severed the link, so he never found himself needing to consult a wiki to remember the equations behind the Coriolis effect, or a bullet's trajectory. He could have walked from Canada to Venezuela without encountering a plant or animal his distributed mechanical brain couldn't name. The only downside to his situation was that he couldn't keep up with politics or bleeding-edge military technology. He only gleaned that sort of information by experience or conversation, and, being a creepy godlike being who sometimes circumcised trespassers, Roland didn't have many conversations. One of Jim's aides ran up and handed Roland a paper-thin tablet. Jim directed him through a dozen satellite images of what looked like vehicle and ammunition depots. Roland's hindbrain recognized the Dallas road systems immediately. A surge of sense memory hit him. Fire! So much fire, the smell of it only drowned out by the intense stink of 30,000 people panicking at the same time. Roland felt bullets dig into his flesh. He saw hate in the eyes of the advancing cops, and he felt a corresponding surge of glee as his brain started to pump out battle drugs. He squeezed his trigger. Roland shook his head, pulled his mind back into the present moment. Jim frowned, but didn't say anything. He just pointed back at the tablet. Roland focused again. 
It appeared to be a satellite image of a defensive line in Dallas. He noted a large number of military vehicles piled into several parking garages. What's going on here? he asked. Suit carriers, Jim said. A couple of dozen of them. Roland shook his head. Impossible. That'd be enough to support, what, 600 power-armored fighters? Those are nation-state numbers. I know the Republic of Texas is a shit show, but there's no way they'd let some insurgent militia build an army like that in their borders. Maybe not, Jim said. Maybe so. Truth told, I don't care what's parked in those garages. You blow them up, I get paid, and you get your fancy surgery. Roland felt uneasy. The job itself seemed too simple. The kill team Jim had sent to wake Roland up probably could have done this job with a few reinforcements. It seemed weird that some nutbar extremists could get their hands on that many suits. Roland just didn't trust the whole situation. Jim, he asked, can you promise me this memory thing will work? Fuck no, Jim scoffed. I can't even promise you'll survive. This is a bleeding-edge mad science operation. The MFED is willing to break international law to work on a wanted terrorist. I'm half sure they just want to see what happens when they start poking around your skull. You might be making the worst mistake of your life here. But at least you'll die after blowing up a bunch of gear owned by Christo-fascist assholes. Roland considered for a long moment, then nodded his assent. All right, then. You've convinced me. I'm in as long as this stays a sabotage mission. No killing. No killing, Jim agreed. They both stared out at the vacant desert for some time. Roland found himself humming along to a song he couldn't name or even remember hearing. Jim hummed along with him. He put a hand on Roland's shoulder. That felt good. There was something about human contact that none of the machines in his head could replicate. They sat for a while longer. Then Jim squeezed Roland's shoulder and stood. Come for another peaceful wall, then. Hey everybody, Robert Evans here. I hope you just enjoyed the chapter you listened to. I hope you enjoy the chapters to come. If you would like to read the text version of this book, uh, either on the web or on your e-reader as an EPUB, you can find those on the website atrbook.com. Uh, so again, the free, ad-free EPUB and the text of every chapter will be on atrbook.com. Thanks! Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. 
To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.